Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sharpening Report. I am your host, Josh Peck. Tonight, we actually have uh, me as the guest. I was I was asked a while ago through a YouTube comment if I could re-upload a video that, unfortunately, YouTube had deleted. It was back in the days of Peck Underground Church, which we actually have talked about possibly reviving, so uh, we, might, we might be doing that. But uh, it was about what the locusts are in Revelation 9, how it might connect with CERN and and some um, emerging technologies and things like that. I did a really long three-and-a-half-hour teaching on that. Don't worry, this is not going to be that long. Uh, At least I don't think so. But um, unfortunately, YouTube deleted it, and I didn't have a backup copy. It was actually one of the reasons that uh, caused me to start Daily Renegade and do what we're doing now in the way that we're doing it, so that if YouTube does delete a video, we'll have it backed up at the website dailyrenegade.com for members. Um, but I was asked in a comment if I could re-upload that. So uh, I decided, you know, I, I can't re-upload it, unfortunately, because I don't have it. Um, the entire teaching, a lot of that was a, a kind of a spontaneous Bible study. So it was me going through the scriptures and then kind of talking about things that would uh, come up in, in my memory, things that I've, I've studied before while I was reading the scriptures. And I, I, it wasn't like from a a uh, a list of notes or like a script or anything like that. So what I decided to do today instead of trying to do that again um because a lot of it was kind of haphazard and you know it it was it was more of an organic kind of bible study than it was an actual solid um point by point teaching. So I decided to take all that stuff stuff that I've written before um everything that I know about the locusts revelation 9 CERN, how, how these things might connect and, and how this could be fulfilled in the future. Uh, also how Revelation 9 connects with the book of Ezekiel, with Ezekiel's vision in chapter one, how it shows the identity of these locusts, actually, uh, the, the, the species of, of angels or spiritual beings that these things are, where they come from, what they're going to do, you know, that, that kind of thing. I decided to just, uh, put all of that together. Oh, what the faces represent in Ezekiel, uh, lots of cool stuff, but I decided to just put that all together. Um, in a note by note kind of thing, so I can actually give you a teaching. So while I can't re upload that video, what this is going to be is so much better than that because, uh, this is going to be point by point. It's not going to be long gaps of me looking up Bible verses and trying to figure things out. Uh, it's not going to be, uh, organic like that. It's, it's going to be more of a solid teaching. So that's what I wanted to do today for the sharpening report. Uh, I rarely ever, um, just do this this show by myself without a guest. But when I do, I've noticed that people tend to enjoy it. And I've actually had some people ask me to do more of that. So um, if you do want more of that kind of thing, by the way, I do host JPD Weekly, which is a show that's basically the sharpening report without a guest. It's just me kind of talking about uh, Bible things. Oh, and real quick, I probably should mention too, that the other reason I'm doing this is I'm trying to get 
um, a bunch of episodes done ahead of time, which will all be available at dailyrenegade.com. But uh, you always get early access at, at, if you're a member there. But I'm doing this because uh, my wife and I, Christina and I, we are we are expecting uh, any any time now our fifth child, uh, Anya Rain, Anya Rain Peck. Uh, so this will be my third daughter, fifth child, and uh, we're expecting uh, Anya anytime. So she's about to be born. I want to make sure that I have uh, enough of these made and recorded ahead of time so you guys don't have to lose out on anything and I don't have to <laughs> worry about things for a little while. So uh, please keep us all in prayer over that. That would be great. Okay, now we can jump into it. Believe it or not, this study begins in uh, quantum physics. It begins with a particle called a graviton. And um, what does gravitons have to do with the Revelation 9 locusts? You will see. It's actually it's actually really cool, this connection. But the graviton is probably the one of the strangest uh, theoretical particles ever hy hy hypothesized. Now, I say theoretical because gravitons have never been directly observed. But... Physicists are confident in their existence uh, because of the presence of the gravitational field. So every field produces a particle, um, and it would be weird if the gravitational field was the only one that didn't do that. So because there is a gravitational field, uh, it is possible that a soon discovery might take place by means of particle colliders like uh, the LHC at CERN. So basically what happens there. Uh, they collide particles together. All that energy ripples out into the surrounding quantum fields. And when a quantum field um, has energy or ripples, that ripple is a particle. That's what a particle actually is. So the idea is put a bunch of energy into the surrounding fields and uh, see what particles come out of that. So it's possible a graviton could be discovered that way or observed that way because that's how uh, that's how lots of particles have been discovered, such as the Higgs boson. Now, gravitons... They're obviously the particles associated with gravity. Gravity in itself is still kind of a mystery in a lot of respects. Uh, but due to scientific advancements, the world might not be too far off from the holy grail of physics, definitive proof that the graviton actually exists and the means to study its properties. Uh, now, what makes the graviton especially interesting is its apparent ability to flow between spatial dimensions. Uh, so along with other potential discoveries, the graviton is obviously at the top of the LHC's uh, to-do list. CERN's very interested in this. Um, but gravitons seem to be able to, uh, it, it doesn't seem like they're rooted into our reality in the way that other particles are. They seem to be able to flow in and out uh, between dimensions. It might be part of the reason why the why gravity is so weak compared to the other forces. Um, and that's a big question in physics. It could be because gravity's in, in a sense leaking into these other, um, dimensions. So that, that could be a part of it. Uh, so gravitons seem to be able to not have to be bound by our dimensions of physical reality. So keep that in mind because that's interesting. So the idea is not always to just look for the graviton itself, but to look for a gap where particles should be after a collision. So the two particle detectors of the LHC at CERN, uh, which are called CMS and ATLAS, they're able to show us the aftermath of a particle collision. So as in any collision, uh, debris is kind of thrown out and distributed pretty evenly. Um, that, that's kind of a crude way of saying it. Really, it's kind of, uh, it's sort of created. But anyway, 
if the detector shows a gap where debris or new particles should be, and there, but there's a gap there, that could be evidence that they've escaped into a higher dimension. That could be evidence that those are gravitons, because uh, for a lot of reasons, they suspect that gravitons can actually do this. Now, there's an idea that gravitons can be used as a way to communicate with beings of higher dimensions. And of course, like any scientific theory or idea, it gets popularized in uh, in media, in Hollywood. So if you remember the movie Interstellar, they kind of explored this idea. Um, now, they... They they crossed some things, you, you know. I mean, I love that movie, by the way. But they they did they they kind of mixed up the fourth dimension, of, you know, of space and the dimension of time. Um, and there's always confusion there. Is time the fourth dimension? Well, yes and no. It depends on how you define dimension. If you're only talking about dimensions of space. Uh, there's no reason to really think that time is a spatial dimension. There's some models where it could be seen that way, but, uh, but there's no real reason to think that it, it could be, but, but by and large, when they say it's the fourth dimension, it just means of all the dimensions that we know, spatial and temporal time is the fourth one that we just list out. So it, it's more of kind of a subjective thing. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but we see, we saw that we saw that idea explored in interstellar. And again, that might sound like the stuff of science fiction, but physicists today are, are seriously considering this possibility. If gravitons are discovered and used as a way to communicate with beings of higher dimensions or parallel universes, this might be what tells us that the world, uh, tells us that, you know, the world that we know of it, our world, that we're not alone. You know, it might, it might be the thing to tell us that we're not alone in this world. While many are waiting for a type of, you know, disclosure event uh, of UFOs, which actually we've gotten quite a bit of that, of that in recent years. But a lot of people are waiting for that. They're waiting for uh, spacecrafts to be discovered or UFOs and sightings and stuff. We might actually be surprised to find out that these beings pretending uh, or presenting themselves in, are, are going to show up in a different way. Uh, you know, and, and so we got to think about that. Um, it might not be that the aliens are from another planet. It might be that the aliens are from another dimension. Uh, and, and that might begin with an established communication uh, through gravity, through gravitons, because again, gravitons can uh, go between dimensions. They, they, they don't have to be rooted in ours. Now, in September of 2015, for the first time ever, if you guys remember this, uh, gravitational waves were detected. Now, before that time, gravity waves, gravitons, and the gravitational quantum field have been uh, largely speculative and theoretical. Gravitons have never really been directly observed before then. Um, the, the effects of gravitation, the gravitational field are seen every day, of course. You know, if you drop a ball, it falls. But without actually observing the waves or particles of gravity itself, there's a limit to what can be learned and accomplished. But now that waves of gravity have actually been detected, there's no telling what the ramifications will be. And keep in mind, this happened five or six years ago. We know that technology can uh, can come about really fast, especially when scientists are motivated uh, to do something. So th these these things can come about pretty fast. What what might be available now that we are not aware of? You, you know, I mean, you can only guess. Now, this detection 
was achieved by the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, or LIGO for short. The actual waves were created by the merging of two black holes, the collision. You know, one the mass of 29 suns and the other the mass of 36 suns. So each black hole is estimated as being about 30 miles in diameter. Uh, gravity waves, um, you know, by and large, these gravity waves, they're, they're so weak that it takes an extremely sensitive detector like LIGO to be able to detect these things. Uh, LIGO can measure distortions as small as one thousandth the size of a proton, which is just an unimaginable uh, small <laughs> size. The gravity waves that LIGO detected lasted only one-fifth of a second, and even more amazing, the uh, detection happened at greater than a five sigma standard of proof, which is, uh, it's pretty big. I mean, it, it means basically the sigma standard um, that, that quantum physicists use. Everything is based on probability. So everything, there's a, ch like, if you flip a coin and 50% of the time it, go it comes up heads, 50% of the time it comes up tails, well, that's what you would expect. Nothing, nothing weird is going on. If you flip a coin and 100, or, or let's say 99% of the time it comes up heads, something's going on. You know, there's something wrong with that. Uh, th there, there is something that is affecting the outcome of the coin, right? And so that, that's kind of like the sigma test. So when they detect things, the way that they can tell an actual discovery from things that are already known or from uh, just background noise is they use the sigma test. And um, uh, a five sigma is a really high standard. So that's how they're able to discover things and, and show that, like, yeah, this is not background noise. This is exactly what we think it is, or at least there's a very high probability that it is. So uh, that, that's how they're able to tell. Now, on one hand, that discovery is really exciting. I mean, after all, any aspect of God's creation uh, that, that can be detected, that can be shown, that can be learned from, that's really exciting. But another another piece of his grand design can now be understood a little bit better because of this discovery. But that could turn into troubling news if and when mankind decides to use this knowledge for dangerous and potentially disastrous goals. When you look at the goals that they have at CERN, not all of them are um, respecting of God. So what, what could this discovery bring? And I promise this is leading to the locusts, but what could this discovery bring? Now, David uh, Ritzi, executive director of LIGO has said, quote, what's really exciting is what comes next. I think we're opening a window on the universe, a window of gravitational wave astronomy, end quote. Uh, Kip Thorne, which is a Caltech's Richard P. Feynman professor of theoretical phys physics uh, emeritus, is also quoted as saying something nearly identical, that this discovery is opening a new window on the universe. Gravitational wave astronomy and new branches of quantum physics are interesting windows, but... What if, uh, what, what, what if some of the other windows, you know, that might be opened? Is it possible a dimensional window or door might be open that can't be closed? So that brings us back to the certain goals of uh, some physicists, not all, um, actually not even most, but some that are, are in control and are deciding what happens with the machine and things like that. Um, their goals, to develop a gravitational communication system. 
Uh, which again sounds insane, but this is the kind of stuff that they talk about. There are steps towards that goal that must be taken by you know by them. There, there's got to be steps. They can't just decide to create one of these things. Uh, so there's steps. So first would be the confirmed discovery of gravitational waves or gravitons themselves. Now that happened already five or six years ago. Next would be uh, learning to repeat the detection in a lab by creating gravitons or gravity waves. Uh, they they would do this by putting Einstein's general theory uh, to the test directly and experimentally. Now, once that's accomplished, there should be enough information to go on to learn how to manipulate the gravitons themselves. Now, interestingly enough, this detection of gravitational waves occurred in September of 2015, but wasn't officially announced until six months later on February 11th, 2016. Now, the reason is because they have to do testing. They have to make sure it's a legitimate discovery, and sometimes that takes time. But that does lead us to wonder what else has been accomplished right now and not yet announced. Because that kind of thing happens often. A, a discovery will happen, and it'll take months. It could, could even be longer, uh, for all we know, uh, for it to be announced. So could these discoveries spur on the opening of the abyss in Revelation chapter 9? You know, only time will tell for sure, but by the looks of it, we're not too far from knowing for sure. So this leads us to wonder what the world might look like after an interdimensional communication is established. We might have the answer in the prophetic book of Revelation from the prophet John, Revelation 9, 1 through 3, states, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Now, the first thing to notice here is that this occurs when the fifth angel sounds. Uh, in my book, Unraveling the Multiverse, I explored the possibility of the number of cherubim faces in Ezekiel's vision representing spatial dimensions. And we, we absolutely will look at that in this episode a little bit later. But if we include time, it's correct to say that we are four-dimensional beings. Again, it goes back to that classification of dimensions that we talked about uh, at the beginning. But you can classify it as that. We are, we are, we, we inhabit three dimensions of space and one of time. So if you count it that way, we're four-dimensional beings. Now, if you follow that logic, we might have a reference to a being of an extra dimension in the fifth trumpet of Revelation, four of space and one of time. So four of space and one of time. Uh, fifth dimensional being. Uh, and again, so that equals five. Just, just as if you add time, we're four dimensional, three spatial, one temporal. This angel could be five dimensional, four spatial, and one temporal. So I also write in Unraveling the Multiverse about the theory um, that when the rebellious angels fell from heaven, that they may have fallen to what we would call the fourth spatial dimension, which would be one dimension just above ours. Not literally above, but there's no other real word for it. It would actually be all around us. But the uh, the angel sounding the trumpet is likely not a fallen angel, but instead might be signaling that a fallen being is about to come into the picture. Because the rest of the verse of Revelation 9 states, quote, And I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. 
So that's no ordinary star. Now, according to our modern vernacular, any star, literal star that would fall on the earth would utterly destroy the earth. You know, end of story. We're all dead at that point. Uh, so there doesn't seem to be, a, but there does seem to be a connection between stars and angels. And at times the word star can actually represent an angel. And we see this alluded to in Revelation 1.20, which says, uh, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven uh, golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Uh, now there, while it says angel, we don't necessarily know if angel is a spiritual being or just a human messenger because angel really just means messenger. There are spiritual messengers and there are physical human messengers. But again, there does seem to be this connection between stars and angels throughout Scripture. Now, we can also see uh, the star is, be is a being of some sort because of the words, unto him was given the key. So the star being referred to with the pronoun him shows that this is a person of some sort. You know, maybe not human, uh, certainly not, because it's falling from heaven. That could be that it's a fallen angel, like literally fallen, rebelling against God, or it could be that it's sent from heaven with a message because it's a messenger, it's an angel. Uh, but it is a being, a person, either, you know, spiritual of some sort. Uh, so don't, don't equate the word person with human. Person doesn't always mean human. Person just means like a conscious being of some sort. Um, so this could be, you know, a person being but something of four spatial dimensions rather than three. Now, why am I saying four rather than three? We are going to look at that. We have to go to Ezekiel for that. Uh, but we are going to look at that a little bit later. So just hold that in your mind. But this is, uh, so this is, this is most likely referring to uh, a fallen angel because of the, the fallen description, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. It could just be an angel sent, you know, sent by God. So that, that's a little up in the air. Now, verse two tells us that the angel opened the bottomless bit, uh, bottomless pit with the key. That word key is interesting. It comes from the Greek word kleos and uh, can be used as a metaphor for authority. So it might not be a literal key, but, but it might be authority. So in, in a sense, this fallen angel was given permission or authority to open the bottomless pit. And we also learn in Revelation 1.18 that Jesus Christ himself held the keys of death and hell. So most likely it was Jesus who granted this authority. It would have to be, right? Now, we may ask, why would Jesus give permission for a fallen angel, if it is a fallen angel, or even a non-rebellious angel to open the bottomless pit? But if it was a fallen angel, why, why would he allow that? Uh, we find the answer in chapter 2, verses uh, 2 through 11 in the book of Joel. And uh, this, is, this is a little bit of a long section, but it's worth reading. So I'll, I'll read it now. Again, it's 2, 2 through 11, book of Joel. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like. Neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. 
Before their face, the people shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. And they shall march every one on his ways. And they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk every one in his path. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Now, we can learn a lot of truths from that passage, but for our purposes here, we only need to note a couple of things. First, uh, as we'll see later in further detail, notice this army is described in many of the same ways as the locust army of Revelation 9, and very well could be the same. It might be. We don't know for sure, because again, we have to remember that fallen beings were originally uh, obedient created beings from God, you know, they were obedient, how much did their appearance change when they fell? We, d we don't know for sure. So, uh, but it it's likely the very same army. And we also read in verse 8 of their immortality that when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. That shows immortality. It shows that these these are likely angelic in nature. Now, we don't know if these are the good guys or the bad guys, but with all the descriptions that are similar to the locusts in Revelation 9, it seems like these might be the bad guys. Although, we also know that God does send the good angels, too, to execute his judgments. So, it's it's still up in the air, you know. I, uh, I, I don't know that for sure. When I wrote Unraveling uh, the Multiverse, I... If I remember right, I, I believe I took the stance that these were fallen, that these were um, against God, but God was utilizing them because he does do that sometimes in the scripture. He has utilized the enemy before. That doesn't mean that he practices evil or does anything evil, but again, God is in control of everything. These things are, are still uh, under his control and he can use them as he sees fit. Uh, there's even places where, you know, God's given permission for a spiritual, a supernatural being to go and be a lying spirit. So, you know, that kind of thing has happened before. It doesn't mean that God himself lies or practices in sin, uh, but we also have, you know, what you, what you, uh, what you sow, you will reap. That's like a, a principle in the Bible. If you if you sow lies into the world, you're going to get lies back. So a lot of that a lot of that can be God's justice, God's perfect, holy, and righteous ju uh, judgment. So, given the description of the circumstances surrounding these beings, we have sun, moon, and stars darkened, uh, clouds of thick darkness, etc. They seem to be the very same locust beings from Revelation nine. Uh, again, there there is an argument that says that the that in Joel these are the heavenly angelic army of God, and that could be too, or it could you know there, there's different ways it could play out, but they they seem to be the same um, locust beings from Revelation nine. But also notice that Joel two eleven says that this is the Lord's army. So how can this be? Um, there, again, like I said, there are times in the Bible where God will use the enemy for his own purposes. He's ultimately in control of these things anyway. He can use them however he sees fit. In the book of Exodus, we read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, Exodus 9.12. We also read later uh, in Revelation chapter 9, quote, 
And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, for to slay the third part of men. So, as we can see there, there are times where the Lord absolutely will use the enemy to fulfill his own purposes. Those four angels bound at the Euphrates, those aren't good guys, because why would good guys be bound, you know? These are angels that are under some kind of judgment, and they're set loose. So the Lord absolutely does use the enemy sometimes to fulfill his own purposes, usually in the way of judgment. And the locust army is no different. So before they're unleashed into our world, this gravitational communication aspect becomes more obvious when we consider these prophecies. It's at least a possibility, all right? Like, I would not go and build an entire doctrine on this, uh, but it's at least one way that this could play out. Um It's possible that the LHC at CERN will detect evidence of gravitons, which in turn could lead to a communication device to higher dimensional entities. And again, I know that sounds nuts, but there have been many physicists that have gone on record to say that they do want to try and uh, communicate with higher dimensions. They want to first discover them and see if they're there. They want to probe them and explore, and they want to communicate. Uh, for I don't know if it still is, but for a long time, that was right on CERN's website as one of their top goals. Uh, it was, uh, or it was either CERN or it was the new particle collider that they were building in uh, China, I believe. But one of the particle colliders, um, I believe, I have it. I, I believe I wrote about it in Abbott on Ascending, a book that I wrote with uh, uh, Dr. Thomas Horn. Um, but in that, me and Tom talked about it, and I think I have that quote in there. But one of the particle colliders. So th- this is a this is a goal that these types of people have. Now, again, not every physicist is going to believe this. Most most don't. Most just want to learn about. God's creation. I mean, there are actually Christians uh, that work at CERN. I'm good friends with uh, one of them, at least. But so most of the people that work at CERN, I don't think, have anything to do with this. But there are people in power. There are people that do have these goals, and they talk about them openly. Now, um, what particle but a graviton could best represent fallen angels? So if this communication device to a higher dimensional uh, entity requires gravitons to operate because gravitons can transcend dimensions, what better particle than a graviton to represent a fallen angel? Uh, we, we even have uh, reference to falling, an effect caused by gravity, in the description of the star angel that opens the bottomless pit. So we can we can look at it there. Now, There's um, an Abaddon and Ezekiel antithesis that I want to get into. It's entirely possible that these locusts are the direct antithesis or or just opposite of the cherubim Ezekiel saw in chapter 1 of his book. So the idea behind this is for everything God has, Satan has an evil and inferior duplicate to that thing. Um, So Satan has never had an original thought of his own. Uh, all, all he does is twist what God already has. So the Antichrist is an antithesis of the uh, of our Savior, of Jesus, of the Christ, the real Christ. So antithesis of Christ, Antichrist. Satan's never had an original thought of his own, so he borrows from God. Now, when we look closely at the description of these locusts and compare it to Ezekiel's vision, because remember, in chapter 1, uh, Ezekiel saw the good guys, the throne guardians, the throne cherubim of God, and these are the good guys. But when we compare 
those cherubim, the good non-fallen cherubim of Ezekiel's vision, to the locust, we actually see that they're complete opposites. Uh, they have similar characteristics, but the characteristics are twisted. They're, they're, they're opposite. So the locust army is very likely comprised of fallen cherubim. That's what I think these things are. They're most likely described as locust because of the destructive role that they play, not necessarily because of their physical appearance, uh, which is described in Revelation 9-7 as, quote, and the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, end quote. Now, uh, in my book, Unraveling the Multiverse, I show that the cherubim seem to have, uh, seem to be an amalgamation of human and animal appearances. And we'll look at that a little bit later when we look at the faces of Ezekiel and see what, what is really going on there, what, what that might be representing. Um, other ancient cultures have, uh, seem, seem to have witnessed these beings as well. And they wrote about them and even, even drew them, uh, in, in like wall reliefs and things. There's the Lamassu and Shadu of ancient Assyria. And those beings were described as having an animal body, like a bull or a lion, with wings and a human head. Now, in Ezekiel's vision of the cherubim, we see the opposite. Ezekiel describes, uh, animal heads atop human-like winged bodies. So it's like the bad guys are the direct antithesis of this. We also see in Ezekiel's vision that one of the faces is described as being half human, half lion, uh, half lion and bisected vertically, vertically. However, Revelation 9, 7 through 8 says, quote, and the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle and on their heads were it, were as it were crowns like gold and their faces were faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. Now, if they had faces of men, like teeth, but they had teeth of lions, it would suggest also a half-human, half-lion face, but, in, but instead of being bisected vertically, like Ezekiel's vision, like the good guys, this is bisected horizontally. Lion's teeth, faces of men. Um, so that could be another attribute to show that these locusts are an antithesis to the heavenly cherubim that Ezekiel witnessed. Because again, in, in Ezekiel, and we'll, we will look at it a little later, but in Ezekiel, um, he, he said that like on, on the left half or on the right half, however he described it, but vertically on one side was a lion, on one side was a human. Um, that is a vertical bisection, but here in Revelation, it's a horizontal bisection. And again, that's one of those things that we read over and we don't piece together, but when we, when we do look at it and when we do, do piece it together, it tells us quite a bit about who these beings are. Um, now, Ezekiel also described the heavenly cherubim as carrying the throne of God on top of them. If you remember uh, Ezekiel chapter 1, which again, we'll look at, but if you, j just by way of just remembering. <laughs> if you think back to what that vision was, they, they and if you never read it, that's okay, because I can just explain it uh, to understand this point. He saw four of these cherubim, and on top of them, they were carrying the throne of God. And this whole thing, this whole construct was is God's chariot, his throne chariot. So they're just remember that, that they're carrying God on top of them. Now, Revelation 9-11 says, quote, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Now, a lot of times we focus on those names, Abaddon and Apollyon, but what did it say just before that? It says they had a king over them. And a lot of times we tend to think that that's like authority. 
like there's a king ruling over them. And it does mean that, but that word over, it actually comes from the Greek word epi, which can mean upon, as well as represent statements of authority. So there are times that the Bible uses the word epi to describe something physically on top of something else without regard, without regard to authoritative position at all. So much how the heavenly cherubim were carrying the true God over them, these fallen cherubim seem to be carrying their false god and king, Abaddon, above them. It's a direct antithesis of the throne chariot of God. So Abaddon has a throne chariot too, but these things are being carried by uh, the, the his, his throne chariot is being carried by the fallen cherubim in Revelation 9. Um, and for an example of that word epi, whenever... Um, Satan took Jesus on top of the temple. When when it says that when it describes that, it uses that word epi on top of so on the temple. It has nothing to do with authority. Um so it could be saying that, but it sounds like that Satan or or Abaddon, I mean the likely a different being altogether, but Abaddon has a antithesis of God's chariot, of God's throne. And that's what's being described here in Revelation 9. So this idea links us back uh, to what we talked about earlier, um, and I've written about before, uh, the possible connections between CERN and Abaddon in ancient history. Uh, and there are connections to that. I, uh, the very first chapter of Abaddon Ascending actually goes uh, really in-depth into that if you, wanna, if you want more information on that. Now, as pointed out in my book, Cherubim Chariots, and then later Unraveling the Multiverse, the uh, ancient world likely had direct contact with fallen cherubim. I mean, they drew these things all the time and they described them. But the, again, they called them things like Lamassu and Shadu, and they're the, they're the antithesis. They're the opposite of what the good guys look like. So in the Bible, the good guys look like humanoid bodies with animal heads. In the ancient world, these Lamassu and Shadus, they are animal bodies with human heads. Really weird. It's a direct antithesis. It's an opposite. So it's possible that the book of Revelation is prophesying a return of these fallen creatures. And it's also possible, if interdimensional contact is made through the use of gravitons, that it'll be either these fallen cherubim or the king over them that humanity will actually be in contact with. Uh, so if CERN has anything to do with prophecy, um, this could be it. I don't know for sure that CERN does, but... Uh, it might not even be CERN. Once this once this discovery is made, how to how to utilize gravitons, any private company could use that information and build something like this. So it might not even be CERN that does it, um, but it, it seems like eventually some type of communication is made, and we we see echoes of this all throughout history. I think even uh, what what was it? Uh, I think Thomas Edison maybe was trying to create like a ghost phone thing where you could call spirits of the dead. I mean, this kind of thing has been like has been in the background of human psyche all throughout time. Humans have always wanted to communicate with other spirits and things. So why not use technology to try to do that? And I think that there are people that would. And being that gravitons can transcend dimensions, if once we get to the point where we can understand gravitons enough, why wouldn't people try to do that? Why wouldn't people use gravitons to try to communicate? It'd be easy to do if you can manipulate them. All you'd have to do, you could send a message by just altering the spin, and then you have like a one and a zero. You can do a binary code and send a string of gravitons, uh, each with, you know, different spins. 
ones and zeros or a Morse code type of thing, and you could send that as a message, then just set up a receiver and see if something comes back. So there are ways that this could be done, and it's it's likely that people will try to do it. Now, whether that has anything to do with prophecy, I can't say for sure, but it seems like a possibility that we should keep our eyes on. Now, as I show in my book, Abaddon Ascending, again, that I wrote with Tom Horn, uh, if you're interested, you can go to skywatchtvstore.com and get that. But the area where CERN is located today is thought to have been dedicated to that same false god, Apollyon, Apollo, Abaddon, uh, in ancient times. And they they actually had, when they were constructing it, they had to halt construction because they found all these artifacts and things dedicated to Apollo. Uh, so it could be that that dedication will manifest itself in the near future. So it's weird that at the same spot where CERN is right now, that that is where this fallen being, uh, Apollyon, was actually venerated and worshipped. And they actually had a spot at, at that location that they called the Bottomless Pit. So it's it's like it's too many connections, it's too many coincidences to just be that, to just be coincidence. So we might actually see a modern-day repeat of the Tower of Babel and a fulfillment of Zechariah 5 in our near future. And uh, if you want a really interesting study, you should look that up. Um, and I, I think I do actually have Bible studies on that somewhere, uh, somewhere online. But uh, if if not, just let me know, and I'll I'll dedicate. We'll do a whole Zechariah five uh, study either here or on JPD Weekly. I think that would be a good thing to do. But the idea behind all of this is that it's possible the mechanism of opening the abyss, at least on the human physical side, is to open a communication system with gravitons, uh, and and to, to breach this barrier between dimensions in order to explore what's there. And then while that's happening on the physical side. On the spiritual side, God is allowing humans to do this, and an angel is permitted to open open the bottomless pit, thereby releasing uh, these horrific fallen cherubim on the world. So it's sort of like God saying, all right, you want to contact extra-dimensional entities that I clearly separated you for for your own protection? You don't want my protection? Then fine, you'll get exactly what you want. Here's the false gods you keep going after. Let's see how they treat you. Uh, and then at that point, hell is literally poured out on earth. Now, of course, the bottomless pit and the release of the locust prophecy in uh, Revelation 9 might not have anything to do with CERN, so I don't want to create a spirit of fear around CERN and, and around particle colliders and stuff like that. I, I don't want to do that. Even if we as believers were here during this prophecy, and I don't personally believe that we will be, but even if we were, the prophecy says that this is only going to affect non-believers. So these things are not allowed to hurt followers of God. We don't have to fear these things. It's only those who reject God. So for us as Christians, there's nothing for us to worry about here. Uh, these things are the false gods that people have always rejected God for. And, the, the, you know, people are, are in this prophecy, people are getting exactly what they wanted. You know, they're, they're getting exactly the false gods that they keep worshiping. They're getting to, co to communicate with their false gods, and that, that is their punishment because these false gods are, are evil and they only want to destroy humanity. So if you belong to Jesus, this punishment is not for you. You know, even more, you'll get to com co uh, communicate, you'll get to commune with your God as well. Uh, the real God. But instead of it being a horrific, abusive experience, it'll be a wonderful, beautiful experience. And it's exactly what you were created for. So 
you know, if you don't know Jesus today, you really should get to know him right now. Uh, start a relationship with him to, to get eternal life. All you got to do is trust in him. Just trust that that he is the only way to heaven. Um, you know, and his death, burial, and resurrection is his blood can cleanse your sins. But all you got to do is trust in him. You know, change your mind about him if you've been rejecting him or if you've been ignoring him. Change your mind about that. You know, believe in him, pray, ask uh, to take part in his promised salvation after this life passes. It, it, you're, it's not by any works that you do that gets you to heaven. It's by what Jesus has already done. So Jesus has already paved the way. You just have to trust him for it. It's, it's that easy. So one thing is for sure, you will die someday. And you don't want to run the risk of running into horrible beings like this in the afterlife or in the abyss, or in hell. You know, you, you, you want to make sure that you're protected and that your entrance into God's eternal kingdom is secure. So today is the day to get that taken care of right now. Call out to Jesus, trust in him, and be spiritually born again in his name. Okay, now we do have a lot more to talk about, but we're going to do that in the members-only section. So we're going to talk about the good guys. We're going to talk about the throne guardian cherubim of Ezekiel's vision. We're going to go kind of verse by verse through Ezekiel's vision. We're going to learn how it relates to Revelation. There's so much cool stuff in that. So head on over to dailyrenegade.com and get a membership. Uh, you can even get a free trial for seven days. So you can try it before you buy it. Uh, no obligation. Get a free trial. Get the rest of this uh, episode as well as all of our other shows. We have hundreds of videos, possibly thousands by now, but we have hundreds of videos not available anywhere else because, again, YouTube has deemed it too controversial when it's just solid Bible teaching, you know. Uh, so dailyrenegade.com, that is the place to go, uh, and we will we'll see you there. So, members, hang on the line. Everybody else, till next time. Love you all. Take care and God bless. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.